Dan and I, we've known each other for about, um, I don't know, eight or nine years or, or so. We went on a trip to India. I don't know if some of you remember this trip when myself and Ricky went uh, to India and Dan and his son went, and Bill Holdridge and his son went. So there were six of us that went. It was a father-son kind of tour. And that's when we met Jacob Bira and got involved with that ministry there in India. And we, you know, uh, Dan is involved in, like, teaching uh, all around the world uh, inductive Bible study. And uh, I wanted to also mention that uh, he's got some some tapes and some books and stuff in the back, and I want you to, you know, check it out. One of the reasons I re was really excited to have him was because he, we got a copy of his book. He just wrote this book about his life in, uh, in California when I went to the conference there, and uh, the book is just, is awesome. It's one of the best I've read in a long time. So let's all welcome Dan Finfrock. Thanks, Rich. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you here on the East Coast. I flew all the way from the West Coast yesterday to come out here, and uh, and uh, anyway, it's nice to have a little rain. We don't know what that is in California, so uh, but uh, we'd like a little bit of what you got here. Well, I, as uh, Rich mentioned, I do a lot of traveling. I'm all over the world and in many different continents uh, throughout the year, teaching and working with pastors and leaders and. Years ago, I was pastoring a Calvary Chapel that I had started in Southern California, and, and uh, I was invited to go to the Philippines and visit uh, and do a, a pastor's conference over there, and I'd never traveled anywhere up to that point, and so I went over there and got up in front of about 150 pastors, and they all got their Bibles out, and, and I started teaching, and after about 45 minutes of teaching, uh, you know, these guys, they got their pencils and papers and their Bibles out, and they were really into it with me, you know, and, I, and it was pretty exciting to see their response. And after about 45 minutes of teaching, I wasn't getting the normal signals that I would get on Sunday morning from my congregation, you know, like people were sitting there kind of looking around, and there'd be a few of them doing this to their watches, and, <laughs> and there'd be others sitting there agreeing with me, kind of going like this, mm -hmm. I wasn't getting any of those signals, and it was really hot there in the Philippines. It was a very hot and humid climate, and, and, uh, and they were just still with me, and I started to wrap it up, and they were saying, oh, no, don't, Pastor, don't stop. Would you just keep going? This is really good. And so that morning, I went almost four hours. I'd never taught so long in all my life in one segment, and it's like they couldn't get enough, and, you know, after lunch, they said, Pastor, come on, you got to teach us some more, and, and they got, we got in the Word again, and, and, uh, you know, they were saying, I, we've never heard the word taught the way you're teaching it. Well, what was I doing that was so different that they'd never heard before? Well, I was just going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. They'd never heard that before. I go, you got to be kidding. I thought everybody knew about the inductive, you know, going through the a text inductively and systematically. And so anyway, uh, they obviously were really blessed and they had a great time. And they were, I went back to my church and you know, I'm sharing my exciting stories, and after 45 minutes, I'm getting the same signals from everybody, you know, and I wanted to take this book and just beat them all over the head with it, because I knew they didn't appreciate what they were getting, and that was the consistent teaching of the Word of God. So important. Well, um, I was getting a lot of letters, and they invited me to come back again, so I went back over again, and the second year I was there with this conference... As I was teaching these pastors again, they were so hungry and so eager to get into the Word. Uh, I'll never forget that 
the Lord just flashed a picture into my mind in just an instant, in a second, that was to change the whole direction of the ministry that he called me to. And in this picture, what the Lord showed me was I, I saw a couple sitting there that I recognized from my church on one side of the room and on the other side were these pastors. And this couple from my church, they, they, I'd had a rather unfortunate experience once, one experience with them, one that most pastors do not really enjoy to hear, and that is, uh, Pastor, we're going to be leaving the church. We're just not getting fed here. And in this picture that as they were sitting there, that the Lord flashed in my mind, and they were sitting there, and they looked like somebody had taken a pump and pumped them up. They were like bloated, like, hmm. And on the other side of the room were these pastors, and as I looked at them, they were like skin and bones. And the Lord just spoke to me in that instant, in that second, and he said, that's my church. He says, my church in America, it's bloated because it has so much. But he said, my third world countries are starving for my word. And that was the beginning of the Lord implanting in my heart a vision to leave my church, which was not an easy thing to do, take my family and move to the Philippines. And we began a ministry of training and equipping pastors and leaders. And I tell you what, I had no idea that little did I know that what God had given me, and he gave me a course that I wrote called Inductive Bible Study, and I put together this course and we began to teach pastors how to study this way. I had a lot of my Calvary Chapel buddies come over and visit me while I was in the Philippines. They'd come over for a couple of weeks and we'd go out and do seminars, like Rich went with me to India. And, and so, we, you know, I'd have them teaching in the seminar, and, and when they came to the, uh, when we got done with the seminar, they were going, you know, this is really simple and really clear and really easy. When you come to my church back in America, would you come to my church and teach this inductive Bible study? And so, when I'd come back to the States, I'd start teaching it in some of the churches, and we realized what God had given us, anybody can learn. It's just a very simple system of Bible study. And so that's uh, uh, what the Lord called me to do, and I, little did I know it was going to literally take us into all the world. Uh, from the Philippines, we went into Russia, and now we've been in India. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work in Africa, and this last year uh, we established some new staff in Africa. We did almost 100 seminars over the course of this last year, just in Africa alone, working with thousands of pastors and leaders. So it's been an exciting time, exciting adventure. And, and so uh, anyway, if you have never learned a system of Bible study, I encourage you to go through our little course. We have it on DVD and a manual. You need a manual and a DVD, but it takes you through the whole thing. And I tell you what, it'll revolutionize the way you look at Scripture. And what I found is most people don't have a system. They don't know how to get into the Word. And this will just give you a real simple way to get into the Word of God. Anyway, I have some of those materials back there if you're interested. And um, uh, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, and we're going to look in the book of Philippians. And we're going to look at uh, the fourth chapter, which is kind of the conclusion of why Paul wrote this letter, because he was really thankful for the church at Philippi that gave to his needs. They were a very giving church. And so... One of the reasons that he wrote the epistle was to thank them. But uh, Paul had, many, as many of you know, had visited them on his second missionary journey. And during this time, uh, Paul had an incredible experience where, you know, it, it wasn't the most friendly of meetings when, you, when he went to Philippi because he ended up getting arrested and thrown into prison. And then they beat him and, uh, illegally because he was a Roman citizen and you don't do that to Roman citizens. And, uh, and the long and short is, 
Paul established the church in Philippi. And, uh, and Paul, now he's in prison and he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, a church where he didn't have the most fondest memories as far as his first experience there, but he had great memories of the church and the people and what God did in their lives. And so he writes this incredible letter that's filled with joy and rejoicing. And you'll see that word joy and rejoice repeated about 16 times as you go through the text because he's emphasizing obviously something. And, and Paul, in the midst of a huge trial where he's locked in prison, where he can't go anywhere, he, he's, this, uh, he's a class A personality and this, he's got all his you know, uh, zip and envy, and uh, not envy, but just desire to get out there and proclaim the word and he can't go anywhere because he's locked in prison. But as we know, he was chained to Roman soldiers and he wasn't tight-lipped in the, with the soldiers. He started sharing the gospel and many of them got saved as we learn in the book of Philippians. But we know that uh, God used his circumstances and so he writes this incredible letter of joy in the midst of difficulty, hardship. And, and, and Paul, uh, just, just a couple things I'll share with you before we get into chapter 4. But in, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And folks, the good news is God is at work in you and I. He hasn't completed our work. And he'll continue to work in you and I. You know, I thought when I got to be 50 that, man, I'd be at a plane in my walk with the Lord there. It'd just be so easy. Well, now I'm over 60 and it's still, I'm still struggling. How about you? Life is not easy. And, and, and Paul says, God is at work. Being confident of this very thing, that he's going to complete his work. There are no accidents in our lives, folks. Did you realize that? And God has a plan. He has a purpose for everything that happens in our life. And even when we do stupid things and we suffer the consequences, God uses those for his honor and for his glory. And so God is at work. And, and, and Paul then says uh, such a beautiful verse in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. And Paul wants the, the church to understand his whole purpose in life is to live for Christ. See, how, how would you say that phrase? For me to live is, how would you fill in the blank? For me to live is, well, maybe some of you say, for me to live is my job. For me to live is making a lot of money. For me to live is my children, my grandchildren. And there's a lot of ways we could fill that blank in. For me to live is football. I love football. <laughs> see, what do you live for? You see, if we live for anything else but Christ, then we read it this way. For me to live is whatever, but to die is loss. See, because in the end we lose it all. But if we live for Christ, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, see? And what do you live for? See, what's your purpose? And Paul wants us to understand so clearly in the Philippian church that he's writing, you got to live for Jesus because that's where meaning and purpose is. And then he goes on in chapter 1 and one of the things he talks about, he says, for you, in verse 29, for you, to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, 
but also to suffer for his sake. And so Paul makes it very clear that this Christian life is not an easy walk. I don't care what you hear some people, especially some of these Christian televangelists saying, you know, hey, once you invite Christ to your life, everything's going to be good. And if you, if you really are uh, uh, in tune with him, you don't go through hard times, you won't go through trials. Well, that's a bunch of bunk. Because life is filled with trials. And you look at Jesus and all that he went through. You look at the apostles and, and they were martyred for Jesus Christ. Their lives were not easy. And so our life isn't going to be easy either. And you and I, we go through a lot of difficulties. Three years ago, my wife and I went through one of the worst difficulties I've ever imagined. That was the losing of our, our fourth child. It was devastating. And, and it's an it's amazing story. It's a young man that the Lord, we adopted this little boy in the Philippines. And it's an amazing story. And I don't have time to go into it with you this morning. But if you want to read about it, you can get it in my book back there. It's kind of a tearjerker, the last chapter. But, uh, I, you know, it was, a it was just a difficult time. Life is not easy. But you see, with Christ in our lives, he helps us through those difficult times. Because in the midst of those difficulties, I have a choice. Whether I become embittered with that circumstance, that situation that's happened to me, or I say, Lord, I don't understand. But I know that I know that you're in control and that you sit on the throne and I trust you. And so in those moments, in those difficult moments that we go through, we trust him because he's in control. We know that nothing happens to us out of circumstance. Nothing happens to us out of his purpose and his plan. And he's in control. And so Paul goes on and he talks about the importance of humility in the walk and how we have to press on in our walk with him because we're running a race and, and uh, there's a goal ahead of us. And, and then he gets to chapter 4 and that's what we want to look at this morning for just a, a few minutes together. If you would uh, look at starting in verse 1, let's just follow along with me and we'll work through the text very systematically. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodi and I implore Sintishi to be the same mind in the Lord. And I urge also these true companions to help these women who have labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Would you just join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we divide your word together this morning, we ask that you would just speak to us. We ask that you would have the freedom that your Holy Spirit would just break through every heart and every life. Lord, that there would not be one person sitting here this morning that you don't touch through your spirit, through your word. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we just commit this time to you. And we invite you to come, Holy Spirit, to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, Paul, as he concludes now in chapter 4, just is a great epistle. I'm sure if you've been in this church for a long time, your pastor has taught through this book. But it's, it's a, just a great study. But Paul says, therefore, and referring back to all the things that he's been talking about before, he says, my beloved and long for a brother and my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And, and, and you just notice how much Paul cares for these people. He, he really cares for, for the church. There, there's a great love that he has for the people of the church of Philippi. I, I wonder, do you have a great love for the people in your church? 
See, do you really care for the people? Are you really concerned? See, that's, that's the body that God's brought you into, this fellowship. And he wants you to, be a, he wants you to have this kind of, uh, of koinonia love that, that reaches out and cares for one another. And, and so he says, you're my beloved and long for brother. And he says, you're my joy and crown. Paul recognized that he had invested his life into these people and it brought great joy into his life. You know, joy is, is an interesting word because you don't have to have certain things to happen to you to, to, to give you joy. Do you realize that you can have joy in the midst of the worst of times? See, we often mix that word with happiness. And happiness, you have to have certain things happen to you to make you happy. Somebody gives you a nice bonus at work, you know, that makes you happy. But joy, you can have no matter what you're going through. I'll never forget sitting in my son's funeral three years ago. And tears were running down my face as I saw hundreds of young people come to Christ at his funeral. It was unbelievable. And you see, no matter what you go through, you can have this incredible joy that comes from the Lord. And so he says, you're my joy and my crown. And, and Paul recognized that these people were part of his crown. Do you realize that when you invest your life into other people, they become your crown? Do you realize that God is going to reward you someday? There are, is a reward system that God has established. He talks about different crowns in the scriptures. But you're going to receive a crown someday for what you've done. And as you walk with the Lord... As you minister and give your life to serve him and you reach out and touch other people's lives, there's going to be a crown waiting for you someday. You know, some of us are going to get a real little one because you didn't do a whole lot, you know. Others are going to get a nice big one, you know, because you really got involved. But you see, what do you live for? Do you live for yourself or do you live for Christ? He's calling us to give our lives to serve him with all of our being. Well, he says in verse 2, I implore Yodi and I implore Sintishi to, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So now Paul addresses an issue which he touched on just a little bit earlier in the beginning of Philippians, but there was a problem going on in the church. And there was a couple ladies that weren't getting along. It's interesting, you look at their names. Bible names are always interesting. Yodia, her name means prosperous journey. And Sintishi, her name means... A uh, pleasant acquaintance. But I want to tell you something. Iodia was not a prosperous journey to Sintishi, and Sintishi was not a pleasant acquaintance with uh, Iodia. They weren't getting along. And you know, so often that happens in the church where two people don't get along, and it causes division. And, and that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to divide the church so that you don't get along with somebody. And so that you're at odds with each other and it causes separation. And Paul had picked up that there was a problem. These two ladies had, 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 were very interesting ladies. It says, uh, I urge you in verse 3, also true companions, help these women who have labored with me in the gospel. Paul had worked with them. He knew them both very well. They were a part of his ministry. And, and he says, help these women. Uh, and, uh, and also uh, with, the, with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so he just says, reach out and, and, and minister. And, and when we see people in our fellowship not getting along, we reach out to them. Say, come on, let's get along. We, you know, life is too short to be at odds with one another. 
And we need to, to work together because, you see, the church is a, is a picture to the world. And if the church is at odds with each other, what a picture are we painting? You see, God has called us to get along, to preserve the unity of the Spirit, that unity that the Holy Spirit has created. We can't create, but we can certainly maintain it. And then we're called to do that. And so he says, help these women and help these workers whose names are in the book of life. And then in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be a little more comfortable with this verse if it it read like this. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says rejoice in the Lord how much? Always. No matter what you're going through, he's saying you, you, you need to rejoice. And you know, the truth of the matter is it's hard to do that sometimes. When somebody sticks you in the bath, back, somebody says something that isn't real kind, you know, it, it's hard to, to live with that sometimes. You know, Paul, uh, in the earlier part of this epistle, in chapter 2, verse 14, he, he says, do all things without grumbling or complaining or arguing. I wonder how many, how many of you this week have gone through the week without complaining huh? or arguing? Huh? Made it through the week? Uh, uh, okay, here's your assignment this week. Go through the whole week without arguing or grumbling or complaining. Okay, can you do that? Hello? Okay, well, how about an hour? Okay, one, one hour this week. Go through it without grumbling. See, you can handle that, huh? But you see... He's calling us to rejoice no matter what we're going through. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. What's he mean? Well, I tell you what. Jesus is coming back soon, folks. Did you realize that? And the world doesn't need to see more harsh people. There's plenty of them around. But it needs to see people that have gentleness or a graciousness is another way of interpreting that word. See, are, are you gracious? Are you gentle? See, what, what do people see in the workplace? What do people see in your neighborhood? What does your own family see? It's amazing how some of, the, some of the closest people we, you know, people that we're the closest to, how sometimes we can be the most harsh to, can't we? I, I never forget one time my, my wife, uh, my wife and I once in a while we have a dispute. You guys probably don't have that problem, do you? But, you know, one day we, were, we got into a little tiff you know, over something. It's always some dumb thing, you know, and, you, and the next thing you got, es- got escalated and, and now I'm really angry. And, man, I just started kneeling. My wife, I was verbally going after her, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, right in the middle of that heated dispute, the phone rings. And so I pick up the telephone and it's somebody, it was from somebody in my church and, and they had a problem. And so, you know, the tone of my voice totally changed from a minute ago. And I was very kind to that person, you know, and, and we t- they talked, uh, I talked with them, and, and, uh, and then I even prayed for them. And then I hung up the telephone, and you know what I did? I went right back at my wife again. 
And sometimes the people that we love we're the most harshest with. But what the world needs to see is graciousness, gentleness. See, are you, are you gracious? Are you gentle in the home, in the workplace? Well, the Lord is at hand. Then he says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so now Paul says, don't be anxious for some things, but he said, nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Well, what are we to do if we can't get anxious, if we can't worry? I mean, you got to be kidding. How are we going to live without worry, huh? But he says, be anxious for nothing. What are we going to do? Well, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What are we to do? Well, we're to pray. We're to bring those requests to him. And as we pray, God is going to move. Prayer is such a powerful tool that he's given to the church today. But he says, with everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Give it to him. Lord, I just want to give you this situation that I'm in right now. Boy, this hurts. Boy, this is painful. Lord, I want to give it to you. And, and, and I want to trust you in this whole situation. I want to thank you that you're in control. And notice results of praying that way. The results of not worrying, not becoming anxious. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You see, as you go through these difficult moments and you trust him, his peace will surround your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So what's Paul saying? Well, in the midst of these difficulties, the midst of these trials, notice these Notice these words, whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy. See those words? If you look at those very carefully, you realize something because those are all the attributes of Christ. You see, he is noble, he is true, he is just, he's pure, he's lovely. He's of good report. He's of virtue. He's of praiseworthy. What's he saying? Well, he's saying simply, you need to focus on the good things going on. Focus on Jesus as you go through. Don't focus on the negative. Focus on him. Isn't it amazing how we can go through, you know, have just some really neat things happen to us, maybe four or five really neat things happen to us in one day, and then you have one thing, one bad thing, and what do you think about it? You so often focus on the bad thing. And he said, focus on the good things. Keep your focus on Jesus as you go through because he is true and he's going to help you through these difficult times. And Paul says, the things that you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And Paul says, just look at, at, at how I'm living my life. My life is an example to you. 
I want to ask you a question. Is your life an example to other people? See, God wants you to be a model for others. You say, Pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know how messed up my life has been. Well, you know what? If you've invited Jesus to come into your life, he's changed you. You start now. It's not what happened in the past. It's what's happening now and what God is doing now in your life. And you can become an example to people around you. Wow, God's changed me. He's done a work in me. And Paul says, the things that you've saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Be that model. Be that example for others. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though surely you, uh, you did uh, uh, care, but you lacked opportunity. And, and so now Paul is getting to one of the points of his letter, why he was writing them was that, that they were giving to him. And, and so uh, he was really appreciative of their giving, and, and, and they had tried to reach him, we know, with some gifts, but they couldn't get to him. And, and they had lacked that opportunity to get their gifts to him. And, and so now... Their gifts had gotten through, and he says, your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked that opportunity. And then Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in, every sta- in whatever state that I'm in to be content. Paul learned the secret of contentment. Folks, I tell you, contentment is one of the most difficult things Americans live with today. Because we live amongst the people that are discontented. And there's never enough. And what the world often pushes at you and I, we, we, we inherit that. We take that into our own lives. And, and we, we, we live in a discontented state. But Paul says, I've learned to be content. No matter what circumstance I'm in, I can be content. I, I like what uh, Ray Stedman says about contentment. He says, contentment is not getting all you want. That's what we often think about. Contentment is not getting all you want. He says, but true contentment is wanting only what you have. True contentment is wanting only what you have. Can you be content where you are, what you have now? And Paul says, I've learned that secret. And he says, I know how to be abased or live in poverty, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And so Paul says, you know, I've learned to live in either situation, you know. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I like the abundance part. That, that's that's kind of like where I'd like to be, you know, but I don't, I'm not always there. How about you? But he says, I've learned to be content whatever state I'm in. If I have a lot or I have a little, learning to be content. You know, just because you have a lot doesn't mean everything's going to be okay, does it? Do you you realize that both are trials? Whether you have a lot of money or you have a little bit. Because if you have a lot of money, the the trial is, is spending that money according to God's purposes and God's plans. And the tendency is to abuse it and to use it in the wrong way. And the tendency is not to trust in God anymore because I've got all this money. I don't need God. And then the other side of the coin is when you don't have it. You know, the the, the tendency there is to, to, 
you know, it, it's so difficult and you, you're always grasping, I just want to get this, get more because I don't have enough. And Paul says, no matter what state I'm in, I've learned to be content. I've learned how to live both full to be hungry and both to abound and to suffer need. And then Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, how do we get through these difficult times? Well, we recognize that we can do all things through Christ. He's the one that helps us through. He's the one that gives us strength. I can't do it on my own. I need him. And he's going to give me that ability to go through this situation, this circumstance. I can do all things through Christ. You see, the problem is so often we get in circumstances and we say, I can't live with this person anymore. I can't stand this person I'm working with. I can't do this. I can't do that. And folks, when you start saying, I can't, you won't. But the point is, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you allow him to strengthen you, there's no limits to what God can do through you and me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning the giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, folks, Paul wasn't reaching out and saying, man, you guys need to give. We get that a lot today. You know, you got to give, you know. If you give, you know, then, then uh, you know, you're going to get something back. And, and just this pressure to give. But Paul isn't doing that. Paul says, it's not that I seek for the gift, but it's I want to see you get the fruit. In other words, God wants to bless you. And folks, as you give, God will bless you. You can never outgive God. And he wants you to give. And he wants you to be free to give as you see the different needs and the situations around you. I had an interesting experience happen to me years ago when I was uh, getting ready to go to uh, the Sudan to do an inductive Bible study seminar uh, in the Sudan. I'd never been there before, and I thought it sounded like a neat trip until I found out they're in a war. And then they were going to fly me right into the middle of the war zone. And they were going to bring a bunch of pastors to me, you know. And, and, uh, and so uh, anyway, uh, I, just that Sunday that I was to leave, I was leaving in the afternoon from L.A. International Airport there, and, and there was a church that had asked me if I'd speak that Sunday, and it was very close to the airport, so it worked out perfect. It's a big church, and so anyway, I went to that church, and I, I spoke in two services that morning, and, and something very unusual happened that Sunday morning as I spoke at both services. I shared with the people I was going on this trip, and I said, would you please pray for me? I really appreciate your prayers. And, and, uh, and then as after each service, people were coming up and shaking my hand, and, and, and they were sticking money in my hand. Now, every now and then that happens, but, you know, not, not that often. And, but, but they were just sticking money in my hand, and, and, and they said, we're going to be praying for you and so forth. And so, you know, I, I didn't even look at it. I just kind of stuck it in my pocket. But it was really unusual because a lot of people came up to me after each service and were sticking money in my hand. Now, folks, I didn't say anything about money. I was not begging. I was not saying, you know, I really need, I, I had enough money for the trip. I wasn't looking for any more, but this money was coming to me. So, you know, I'm going... 
you know, I, I, I forgot about it, and I'm getting in my car, and I'm driving to the airport now, and my wife's going to drop me off. And, and I thought about that money, so I went into my pocket, and I pulled it out, and my eyes got really big because there were $100 bills, $50 bills. It was a lot of money there. And I'd never, you know, in all my days, I'd never gotten that much money in one, you know, in two services. And, you know, it was pretty nice, but, you know, I thought, well, this is, this is unusual. Well, anyway, uh, I thought, well, I should, I'll just give it to my wife because I don't need this money. I already got enough for the trip. And there was a little voice that I heard say, just put it in your pocket and take it with you. Well, I did. So I'm in the Sudan now. You know, they flew, fly us in. It was an amazing story how we got in there and, you know, so we get in there, and uh, this pilot, big black pilot, he's flying us in there, and, you know, we're circling around, and, and there's a storm coming in. And he says, man, look at that storm. He says, I don't think I want to land. And, and uh, we're, we're going, what do you mean you don't think we're going to land? We've been flying for over almost four hours in this craft. There's about 10 of us, and we got all these supplies, uh, several pastors. I had a doctor and nurse, and we're, they're going to do a clinic, and you know, you got to land. And the pilot, you know, he really didn't want to, but he said, okay, I'm going to give it one shot. So he took that plane, he banked it in, made one of the fastest landings ever made. And, and it was not on a, a paved runway, it was a dirt runway. And that's why he didn't want to land because the storm and it, when it rains, it turns to clay. And you can imagine the problem that that's going to create. And as he landed, he, we didn't hear that what you normally hear when you land at airport, welcome to the Sudan International Airport or so forth. We heard this Big black guy yelling at the top of his lungs, get off my airplane. <laughs> and we threw our stuff off that plane as fast as we could. We got off that plane and, and uh, we, you know, that, um, we, we said, okay, we'll see you in five days. He's supposed to come back and pick us up again, you know. And he goes, maybe. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I didn't like that. I thought about that one word all week long. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, we got in there set up camp, and uh, the long story was we found out once we got there that, there that this village had been raided three different times in the last year, and what they do is when they come in, these, the, it's, it's the government and they're Muslims, and they're coming in, and the war is between the Christians and the Muslims, and the Muslims will come in on horseback, and they will kill and uh, rob and steal everything they can. And one of the things they will try to do is they'll try to get their kids because the kids are worth a lot of money in slavery. And in the last raid, they'd gotten 12 of their kids from this village. And they were distraught about it. And so we said, well, do you know where they are? And they said, yeah, we know where they took them. And uh, they, we said, well, what's going to happen to them? They said, well, they're going to sell, sell them into slavery. And they said, well, how much, how, how much uh, does it cost to buy them, buy them back? And they they told us the approximate figure that it would cost to buy them back. And so our whole team, we got together and pooled our money together and gifts who had a lot of money in his pocket. Yeah. And so we were able to pool together enough money to buy back all 12 of those kids. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And, and uh, we heard later that they got those kids back. So, but you know what? That isn't, the story doesn't end there. Because this is why I'm telling you the story. A month later, I'm back here in the States, and I had to fly to Tennessee to do an inductive Bible study course at a church there. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the course of the seminar, I shared this story, how we had bought these 12 kids' freedom back. Well, during the break, this guy comes up to me, and he's in tears. 
He said, Pastor Dan, he says, I was at that church Sunday morning when you spoke. And he said, that used to be my home church and I moved to Tennessee. And he said, we happen to be back there visiting. And I went there and I heard you speak. And he says, as you were speaking, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I want you to give him some money. And he said, I, I was happy to do that until I went into my wallet to find out all I had was a $100 bill. And he said, I didn't want to give it. But he said, the Lord spoke to me and I knew I was supposed to give. And so he said, I gave that money. And in tears, he said, I'm so happy that I gave. You see, he saw the fruit that God wanted to multiply to him as he gave freely. And you see, it's so important that we're obedient, isn't it? That we obey those promptings of the Holy Spirit and that we're givers. You see, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's the givers and the takers. You see, the, the, the takers, they, 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 don't, they, 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 they eat pretty well, but you see, the givers, they sleep really well because they're free. See, are you free to give? Well, Paul says, not that I seek for the gift, but I seek for the fruit that abounds to their account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus this thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful verse? But I want to point out something to you, very important here. This verse is in context with giving. You see that? You can't take Scripture out of its context. He's been talking about giving. And folks, the point is this. As you give freely, God is going to supply you abundantly. You see, the big problem today is people are afraid because things are a little tight today. And so we hoard what we have. And what God wants us to do is he wants to be free to give. And as you freely give, guess what? This promise is for you. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Do you believe the promises of God? See, are you willing to be a giver instead of just a taker? God wants us to give. And as you do, he will bless you abundantly. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Well, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Amen. No matter what we go through, God is calling us to rejoice because he's in control. He sits on the throne. And as we go through these difficult days, we can rejoice because our lives are in his hands. And someday, someday, when we go to meet him, because we've given our lives to serve him, there's going to be people that will come to us and say, oh, I'm so thankful that you reached out to me, that you helped me into the kingdom, that you ministered to me. And someday, those loved ones who've gone on ahead, there's going to be great rejoicing in heaven. There's going to be those that are going to greet us, and there's going to be tremendous joy because of what God has done through your life through my life, and reaching out to this lost and dying world. And I tell you what, I'm looking forward to that day when I can go to heaven and I get to see my son again, my dad, some of the loved ones that, that have gone before me. And I know my son's going to be one of the first ones to come running and jumping into my arms. I said, Dad, thanks for getting me here. See, what a joy that we can give our lives to serve him. Let's pray. Father.
Oh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can rejoice no matter what our circumstances are. We thank you for the, the, the good things that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, that you've given us that ability to give of our, our money, our time, our talents, our abilities. Lord, you've given us all so much. And so, Lord, help us to be free to give. To give in those ways that you've blessed us. And so, Lord, I pray for this fellowship. I pray for the people here, Lord, that you would make them givers. That they would give and give, not only financially, but of their time, their talents, their abilities. Lord, that you would just use this church in a mighty way on the East Coast, Lord, to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. We give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. It's been great to be with you this morning. God bless.